Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week we are we are coming to near the end of our the conclusion of our series Knowing God. If you'd like to join us in scripture, you can turn to Romans chapter 11, but we're really going to be in a whole bunch of places this morning, so we're going to start at Romans chapter 11, read a couple verses from there, but that'll really be just the jumping off point for the rest of the morning. But we're drawing this to a close. Next week is going to be the last the last installment of this series before we we move on to something else. But this week we've got a really big topic. This week we have one of the biggest topics that we're actually going to cover in, in this series. And so we need to, to dive right into to all that we're going to talk about this morning. Because what we're going to talk about this morning, actually whether we realize it or not, is probably the, the characteristic of God. There, now I can see you guys over there. Um, the, the, the characteristic of God that most of our struggles actually are born out of. That, that as we can struggle with God, as we can struggle with what he's doing in our lives, as we can struggle with how I see and understand God, this is the characteristic that really will inform that for us. That if God is love, and, and not just loving, but, but that if God is love, if the, the concept of love comes from who God is, if God is holy, if everything that he does is just and right, and without mistake, and if God is our, our perfect heavenly Father, and if God is worthy of all of our praise, and the only one worthy of all of our praise, then why is this happening to me? That this is where so many of our struggles with God, that, that we, if we accept and we believe all the things that we've talked about to be true up until this point then why sometimes in my life does it sure not look like any of those things are true? That if God is love, why is my family falling apart? That if God is holy, why has he allowed this to happen in my life? If God is just, if God is my perfect heavenly father, why? And to give us an, an idea of, of how we understand this concept we're going to talk about this morning, there's a couple places I want to look at in Scripture. And beginning with Romans chapter 11, it will say this in verse 33. Verse 33, it'll say, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That God knows all. The past, the present, the future. God knows everything. There's no limits to his knowledge. There's no limits to his understanding. There's, no, there's nothing that, that slips beyond his ability to, to know and to comprehend and to, to understand. 
Then if we, if we turn to Jeremiah chapter 32, it will say this, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult for you. It's hard to, to read that verse without starting to sing and clap. Or that I won't do that because you don't want to hear that, but it's one of those verses that I know more as a song than I know as a verse. But here we read, God can do all things. Nothing is, nothing is impossible. You, you made the heavens and the earth from your outstretched arms. Nothing, nothing is too hard. He orchestrates and determines everything that's going to happen in our lives, in, in my life, in your life, in Canada, and throughout the whole world. Whatever he wants to do in the universe, he does. Because nothing is impossible for him. And if we look at Psalm 103, it will say this. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. That tells us that, that God is above all things and before all things. He is all things. He is immortal. He is present everywhere. And these are just a selection of verses that, that give us a picture of what it means that God is sovereign. Now, now, what does sovereign mean? When you say God is sovereign, what, what does that mean? Well, if you were to work, look up the word sovereign in the dictionary, you would find words and phrases like superior, greatest, supreme in power and authority, ruler, and independent of all others. But if you were to boil down what it means that, that God is sovereign, if you, you were to want to conclude it in some kind of a phrase, you would, you would simply say God is in control. And so what, what this means is, is that when we see verses and we read that there's absolutely nothing that happens in this universe that is outside of God's influence and God's authority, as King of kings and Lord of lords, God has no limitations. There's absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. That's, that's what being sovereign means. It means being the ultimate source of power, authority, and everything that exists. But once we understand God like this, this then is where the questions start to come in. Because God is in control of everything, why is just seemingly everything the way that it is? then why do things happen the way they do? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? If God is in control, if, if God who is holy and just and right and loving is in control of everything, then why does the world look like it looks? Why is, is evil and tragedy, and awful things part of this world. If it's true that, that God is who God is. What can happen as we try and understand what it means for, for us to serve a God that is sovereign? We, we tend to assume that if, if God is not directly, overtly, and purposefully driving some event, if, if, his, if his hand is not directing the event then somehow he must not be sovereign. Or if things are not happening the way that I think they should, remember we talked about that heart last week, 
that God must not be sovereign because I can look at the events and go, well, this isn't right. So if this isn't right and God is right, then God must not be sovereign. Or if what is happening now, right now doesn't seem to make sense, he must not be sovereign. But this, this version or understanding of, of what it means to be sovereign, of what sovereignty is, it paints a picture of a God who must do anything he can do at all times or else he's not sovereign. It paints a picture of a God who must do everything that he can do at all times or else he's not truly sovereign. But this view of God's sovereignty doesn't actually work with what it means to be sovereign. That if we understand that in order for God to be sovereign, he must be exercising all of his power and authority at every moment, that's what it means to be sovereign. That's not what it means to be sovereign. Here's an example. Many of you, when you, when you were younger, may have done things like this, but you go out, let's, you go out after church and, well, it might not work this time of year, but go out after church and you catch an ant. You put the ant inside of a little cup. There is no question of your sovereignty over that ant. You, you can do with that ant whatever it is that you want to do with it, and the ant really doesn't have a choice in the matter. You could crush it. And the ant can't do Ants can lift a lot of weight, but, but you could, and that would be the end of that ant. You, you could feed it and take care of it. You could sprinkle a little food in there, and, and you could take care of it, and you could treat it like a pet, and you could give it the best life an ant has ever been given in the history of ants. You could pick it up. You could let it crawl on your hand. You could let it do all those things. You could put a lid on the cup and never let the ant out. You could just let the ant do whatever it wanted to. Just leave the ants to the ants. And if the ant crawls out, the ant crawls out. If the ant remains in the cup, the ant remains in the cup. And it's really up to the ant. But you're not forced to crush the ant. You're not forced to pick up the ant. You're not forced to give it a name. For, for reasons of your own choosing, you, you might choose to let the ant crawl away, but that doesn't mean the ant is in control. If the ant gets out of the cup and crawls away, you could still and eliminate all of that ant's freedom of choice. There's a difference between allowing the ant to leave the bowl and helplessly watching as it escapes. The wrong understanding of God's sovereignty says that if the man is not actively holding the ant inside the bowl, then he must be unable to keep it there. That, that if we understand sovereignty to be that God must do everything he can do at all times, then that's also understanding that if, if the man does not prevent the ant from leaving the cup, that then the man cannot prevent the ant from leaving the cup. And those are not the same thing. 
The illustration of, of the ant in the cup is, is at least a vague parallel to God's sovereignty over mankind. God has the ability to do anything, to take action and intervene in any situation. But he also often chooses to act indirectly or, or to allow things for reasons of his own. God's sovereignty means that he is absolute and unrestricted in his supremacy. But the right of God to allow mankind's free choices is just as necessary for his sovereignty as his ability to enact his will wherever and however he chooses. To be sovereign means that God can do whatever he wants, which means that if God wants to allow something to happen, he has the choice to do that. That's, that's what sovereignty means. And so when we unpack this idea of what does it mean that God is sovereign, and we, we, when we think about it in light of who, who God is, and we, we know that he's holy and loving and our heavenly father, then we can read promises like what we read in Romans 8.28 in a different way. Romans 8.28 will say, for we know that all things, or in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. What's amazing about a promise like this is, is that when we understand that God is sovereign, we understand that it, re it reminds us that an all-powerful God cares about you and me. That an all-powerful God doesn't just leave us to our own devices, but an all-powerful God will care about you and me. And it also reminds us of who God truly is. Because it can't be fulfilled. You can't make a promise to say that we know that in all things God works for the good unless the one who is in all things working for the good is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, and all-loving. Otherwise, we just have to hope. Otherwise, we would have to read, for we hope that in all things, we hope that in most things, we hope that in some things, we hope in something, maybe God might do something that might make it a little less bad, maybe. But because we know and we understand the sovereignty of God, we can say that we know that in all things, that that is the sovereignty of God on display. Because God is, is sovereign and he loves you, nothing will ever come into your life that, that he can't work to bring some form of godly goodness in our lives. And so no matter what we face, we, we can take comfort in the fact that God is sovereign. And this is the point where we come to crossroads in our lives, crossroads in our faith. Because we can know all of this. We can understand all of this. We can stand on the promises of God. We can stand on this promise and believe it and declare it and get it on a sign in the front room of our church and get it tattooed on the back of our neck. And we can believe this to be 
true until, until something happens that's beyond what we can understand. Something happens that, that won't allow us to stand. They say, I stand on this promise. Now I can't stand so well. Something happens and that causes everything that I believe to suddenly come into question. And as we're walking through this, and, and, and in fact, what happens is we, we're walking through these difficult times and somebody comes to us and says, well, you know, the Bible says that in all things, God works good and it doesn't fill us with hope. It makes us angry. It makes us frustrated. That as I'm dealing with this, you're going to come and tell me, well, you know, in all things, God works for good. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that in this moment of difficult and pain, you're just going to, oh, great, well, good, perfect. Well, then I guess I won't feel the way I feel anymore. And everything we believe is put to the test. And our ability to trust God in his sovereignty is put to the test. That the sovereignty of God is the characteristic of God that most puts our faith to the test. Because as we understand these things to be true about God, there's going to be moments in our life where we either have to just trust or it starts to fall apart. Because the sovereignty of God won't always look like the sovereignty of God. That the same psalmists who wrote the, the verses that we read this morning, they're the same psalmists that would write, God, where are you? Why are you sleeping? Why are you not answering my prayer? That we can declare on one hand, God, you're thrown, enthroned above heaven and earth and all things are yours, but it sure feels like you're sleeping on me right now. And so what I want to close our time with this morning is I want to talk about how we build our trust. How do we build our trust in the Lord? Because if by some miracle in your life you haven't come to a place where your faith has been tested, I'm really happy for you and I've got some bad news for you. It's coming. And so what we have to do is, is we have to learn and how to develop and grow our trust. Not so that when these moments come that they don't mean anything to us, but so that when these difficult, hard moments come in our lives, that we have a firm foundation to be able to stand on and have all of the feelings, and have all of the emotions, and have all of the difficulties, and come out of it on the other side saying, yet, Lord, will I praise you. Yet your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. If you want to read a chapter about what I'm talking about, when you go home, Google, great is thy faithfulness verse, and read the chapter that that comes from. Because it's verse 21. And the first 19 verses of that are the most utterly, seemingly blasphemous description of serving the Lord you will ever read in your life. As Jeremiah writes this, 
He's writing this incredibly difficult, frustrating, I cannot handle serving God right now. But then he comes to a place where he says, but your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And so for us, this is where we need to be able to build our trust. Not that we live in denial, but that when things are bad, we can trust. So how do we, how do we build our trust in God? Well, first, the first thing we need to do is we need to read our Bible. And I know that that sounds rudimentary. I know that that sounds like probably what they're saying upstairs. That, well, you know, you need to read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But we need to, to read our Bible. Scripture will tell us that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That, that all Scripture, it's the very breath of God. The phrase that's used is theonostos. It is the breath of God to us. And it will teach us things, and it will correct us about things. And, and as we look at Scripture... It's incredibly crucial for us, if we're going to build our trust in God, to know whom it is that we're placing our trust. Because we can have just sort of an, an, a trust that exists in a God that's formed in whatever I think God should be. But when we read scripture, we actually discover what the God in whom we've placed our trust looks like. And, and what following him looks like. See, sometimes our, our own ideas of what it means to follow God and who God is, they, they creep into our thinking. If, if I'm following God, then nothing bad should ever happen to me. Ask the Apostle Paul about that. If I'm following God, then I should be rich. If I'm following God, everything I do should be successful and nothing bad should ever happen. And then you read... Paul's heart when he says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. As, as we read the Bible, we, we, we don't come away going, oh, so good, nothing bad will ever happen. But as we read the Bible, we recognize God can bring joy in the midst of the difficult circumstances. God can bring joy in the midst of pain. We read, we read about everything that happened to Joseph. And we read about him being thrown into jail and abandoned and left for dead. And then we read him saying to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That even in the midst of all of the chaos of his life, that he could have a trust in God. And, and so we look at that and we go, oh, so I guess following God doesn't mean everything will always be perfect all the time. And so as we go to the scripture and we read our Bible and we see what God has to say to us and we see how he works, it shapes how we understand and see God and what it means for us to follow him. Second, we need to bring our stuff to God. We need to bring it to God. Sometimes as Christians, as, as modern day North American Christian believers, um, we can become actually afraid to speak to God about how we really feel. That, that we've been conditioned to, to have our prayers go and sound a certain way. Dear God, thank you for today. 
That, that we begin, our, our prayers need to sound a certain way for them to sound like prayers. Sometimes we can be worried about praying the real things in our lives and the real things in our hearts because we're not exactly sure if we're actually allowed to pray those things or if we just have to pray in a certain verbiage that's kind of approved. Sometimes we feel like we need to approach God in, in this clean, sanitized way where, where we cannot really, truly say what's going on in our hearts and lives. Now, there's passages that we could turn to, and like I say, Lamentations chapter 3, go home and, and read it, but where we can see that that's not actually what God wants, but that what he wants is our honesty, I want to highlight for you, we already read this this morning, actually, as, as we read scripture earlier, but 1 Peter 5, 7, that says, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How many is all? All. So what about the ones that are really hard to say? Does that count? What about the, the challenges that we might have with God? That, you know, my anxiety that I might have with him, does, does that count? All is all. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The good, the bad, you know, we don't cast all of your anxiety. When was the last time you had anxiety because something was good? Now, maybe if you're a real pessimist, you might be like, things are good right now, and that's kind of scary. But cast all of your anxieties. When you feel like you have a dark, you're in a dark moment, give that to God. And what I love about this is that it's not a suggestion. It's not Peter saying, you know, you might want to try this sometime. It's not Peter saying, you know, the door's open if you'd like to, to do that, if you want to. But we're told to do this, that it's what God wants from us, to take our stuff and to give it to him. But there is a catch. To cast your cares on him is to give them over to him and leave them with him. See, I could be really generous for a moment and say, Lori, I'd like to give you my iPad Enjoy it. Be blessed. <laughs> I had a moment where for a second I had done something really generous. I had given Lori my iPad. How many here would do that today? None. But I did it. I gave Lori my iPad. Now, I immediately took it right back. But for a moment there, it was hers. And she could have done anything she wanted with it. But then I took it right back. That when we're called to cast our cares on God, we're called to leave them with him. To not go, God, here's all the stuff going on in my life. Now can I have it back, please? I, I, want, I, need, I, need, I need it all back. I can't let you have I need it. We're called to, to give it to him. It's not casting like fishing, where you cast and then you reel it back in. It's giving it all to him. The next way that we can, we can ensure that, that we're 
building our trust is to give thanks. One of the best ways to build our trust is to remind ourselves of what God has already done for us, which is actually one of the most difficult things to do because we don't do well with that. That, that the moment we get an answer to prayer, the moment something resolves itself, we don't take a whole lot of time to celebrate that because life keeps moving. And so God answers a prayer, but now there's another prayer request in front of me. And it doesn't really matter that God answered that prayer request if he doesn't answer this one. We see this in the life of the Israelites as they're leaving Egypt. And, and they have this, this most miraculous, amazing story of God leading them out of captivity and into the promised land. And God's performing miracle after miracle after miracle. If ever there was a people that would be able to say, you know what? God's got this. Let's not worry about it you would think it would be these folks. But every time a problem comes up, God, why have you brought us out into the desert to die? It would be better for us to go back to Egypt. Let, let's go back there, because at least we had food back there. Now we go, oh, God provided manna from heaven. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Well, now we're really thirsty. What are we going to do? Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had something to drink. Let's go back. Oh, God provided water. Oh, that's great. And we just see it over and over and over again. And this is why ensuring that we take time to give thanks for the big and the small, for the answers to prayer and for what God has done is so important. First Thessalonians 5 will say, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? You just read it. To give thanks. God's will for you is to be a people of thanks. And the last thing we need to do to build our faith this morning, admit we don't know. If you ever try to come to our house, and you're all welcome to come to our house, but if you ever try to come to our house and you enter in our address into GPS, you don't think about it, you just, well, it'll take you there. Except if you try to come to our house. Because for some reason, the GPS takes you to the alley behind our house. It doesn't matter whether you use Apple Maps or Google Maps. If you come to, we had, we had Ludovic and his family over here, and I had to think as they were coming, I was like, oh, I need to text him because he's going to end up in the alley behind our house and not understand, like, where is this house? Do they live in a box in an alley? What is happening here? Where, and and we, we, we can think, oh, the GPS knows exactly what I don't. I have no idea where 50 Tipping closes. That's our house. You're welcome to come over anytime. But if you enter into 50 Tipping Close and just rely on the GPS, you're not going to get there. You'll end up in an alley behind our house. And the alley doesn't connect to our street, so you can't even just, oh, go around the corner. Nope. You got to go back. away. It, it is complicated. Desmond, you know. You know. You, you try. You, we standing on our deck waving at him, and he's in the alley behind our house. We trust that the GPS knows things we don't know, even when it doesn't know. But what we need to learn and to understand is to have the same kind of faith in God that we can have in our GPS. That when we punch in something, it knows stuff we don't know. And it's going to tell us what we, we don't know, even if we doubt it. We can look and we, well, it, I don't know how to get to to New Orleans, but I could tell you how to get to New Orleans in, in 30 seconds. And we'd have to trust it. 
And what, that's what we have to learn, that trusting the Lord comes down to an acknowledging that we don't have all the answers. We need to trust him even in the times when it doesn't make sense. The Bible gives us so many good illustrations of this. God instructed Joshua, for instance, to, to walk around the well-fortified city of Jericho a number of times and then shout. And if the people did that, the walls would come down. That doesn't make sense. You gather together your armies, you gather together your people, and here's the battle plan, and you outline that. I, I'm surprised that they had any soldiers left. That the people went for this idea. Joshua's lost his mind, we need a new leader. I move that we appoint a new leader. Second, carried, let's find something. Tell us how to build a battering ram. Tell us how we're going to attack. But that's, that's not what God had for them. Solomon, who was considered the wisest man who had ever lived, said this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. The sovereignty of God is what allows us to trust him. To trust him when God asks us to believe him. To believe him above others. To believe him above everything else. To believe him when it seems impossible. To believe him when we're told it's impossible. And it's the sovereignty of God that calls us to trust him when we can't see it. When we don't know. When we don't understand. When it doesn't seem right. Because we serve a God who is love. Who is holy. Who is just. Who is righteous. And because he is sovereign. We can trust him. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you are so much bigger than us. I thank you that in our lives and as we go through our lives, God, I thank you that, that you are so much above and beyond us. That you know more than we do, that God, all of the times when we've come and said, God, you should have, God, I thank you that you know more than we do. And God, I thank you that we can place your trust, or place our trust in you because of that. But yet, God, we know, and you know, that there are times in our hearts and in our lives where we struggle to trust you when we struggle to trust your greatness, when we struggle to trust your power, when we struggle to touch, trust your goodness, when we struggle to trust your love, when we struggle to trust you because it just doesn't make sense that this should be like that. God, we know that it's not because you're not sovereign, but we know that it's because our heart can't always see it. And God, I pray for each one of us gathered here today that may struggle with fully trusting you, with knowing what it means to trust, with knowing what it means to cast our cares and our anxieties to you, in knowing what it means to give over trust to you. And God, I pray for each one gathered here today that may be struggling with this in their life. God, in this moment, the, the picture that I have is just like a cool breeze on a hot summer's day that it would just blow through their lives, that they would know and be able to just experience trust in you, that they would be able to experience your goodness 
and grace in their life in a way that, that they just maybe have never experienced or maybe don't remember experiencing. And, and in this moment, the doubt, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, the anger, the frustration, the bitterness, all of the things that can grow because we don't understand. God, may that, that cool breeze just blow through their life and like leaves on a pathway, just blow all of those things out. God, that, that you would come and you would move in us and through us in a way that would allow our eyes to be open to trust you again. Be open to trust you for the first time. Be open to recognize that you truly are sovereign and that you will walk with us and through us through all of our lives. God, I'm so grateful for your goodness to us. And God, I pray that we would be able to live from that place rather than a place of wonder, question, and fear. God, help us today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God is on the throne. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu, or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
Separate us from the love of God.